0: Um, got, I think, 12 California burritos uh, from Southern California. He froze them, he lined a suitcase with them, and it was only then that he realized that 12 uh, oblong foil packets lining the bottom of a suitcase looks a bit suspicious, and so he left a nice note for the TSA saying, Dear TSA agent that inevitably opens this, these are not bombs, they are burritos. to a bonus episode of Hoppy Night in Canada. I'm John normally calling in from Toronto.
1: I'm Dave in Vancouver and currently staring across the table at
0: John. Hey that's why it's a bonus episode. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in Vancouver for a couple of days for a friend's wedding and we decided to take the opportunity to actually sit down in person and record one of these.
1: Yeah and we also decided that since it's a special bonus episode uh, we bring in a special guest as well. So with us in the room is also Steve. Steve, why don't you give us a little introduction?
2: Uh, thank you very much, John and Dave. longtime listener. Uh, first time <laughs> guest. John's making a face at me. And uh, I can actually
0: make faces now. This is pretty good. Uh,
2: so I've known these guys for 10 years and used to make beer with them and spent a lot of time drinking beer with them. And they asked me if I'd like to come down and drink some beer. And on their podcast, and I said, "What the hell? Why not?" So, yeah, here I am.
1: Yeah, and so it's not going to be like a typical episode. I pulled out a couple of special bottles. Steve brought in a bottle. John brought a special bottle from Toronto. I bet everyone who listens can guess what uh, brewery it's from.
0: The only brewery I ever drink from. <laughs>
1: Uh, first thing, I have a question for Steve. One thing that John and I talked about on our first episode is we talked about what our gateway beer was, what got us into craft beer. For me, it was Kit's Maple Cream. For John,
0: I actually can't remember. <laughs> I think Rickard it was. I think it was. <laughs> I think I said Rickard's Red. Roughly, yeah. Was, right. was what got you?
1: Yeah, I think you said Rickard's Red as well. So, Steve, what's your what was your gateway beer? What got you in? What was what was the beer you drank a bunch of that was sort of halfway between Coqueney and craft beer?
2: Well, I was about to say that I have to be embarrassed by this, but if John's is Rickard Red, then it's not as embarrassing. But for me, it was Sleeman Honey Brown, because uh, there was a bar across the street from my high school that had it on tap. And, you know, I'm from Alberta, so I could actually drink beer when I was in 12th grade. And that was what we used to drink. And then you realize, hey, beer doesn't have to just taste like Molson or Kokany, and there's some actual good stuff out there. Not that I'm saying that Sleeman is good stuff, but like
0: Dave said, it's a foot in the door. Well, there has to be first step somewhere, because that's what, I think we, we covered this a lot in the first episode, but the that first step of, I think things can taste just a little better than what I see other people drinking, and, and a lot of times, yeah, I think for me it was also Slim and Honey Brown, some of the other ones that became an easy go-to, because I knew next to nothing, but I knew that it wasn't Molson, and that well, seemed to be enough. And it's nice when you have the opportunity,
2: because at the time, Calgary did not have a craft beer scene, and they're getting there now, but... Uh, You know, I came to Vancouver when I was 17 to take a look at UBC, and my uncle took me to the Yaletown Brew Pub. So that was another opportunity of... my uncle, I mean, he's... Like, John and I talked about how there's a certain class of Canadian beer drinkers who think that the only things worthwhile are things that come out of Europe. And my uncle's very much one of those people who's basically like, why would you need anything other than Guinness? But he did take me to the Yaletown Brew Pub and showed me you know, they used to have, they called it the Yippee IPA. It was their original IPA. It's a terrible name, but <laughs> begin, beginning a lifelong obsession with IPA and IPA puns. Yep.
1: Well, it's the the other interesting thing is that, like Steve said, there is a, a generation of people where the, the good beer was the imports. But most of those imports that you get, most of those sort of standard imports that you get in Canada now are made in Canada now because Guinness is, I don't, Know if they're owned by, but they're at least brewed in contract with Molson. So all of the Guinness you get in Canada is brewed in Montreal. There was a big lawsuit in the states where people who were Beck's drinkers thought they were getting German beer. It was all being brewed in St. Louis at the Anheuser Busch facility (laughs) because Beck's is owned by AB InBev, and so and they just settled a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, where a bunch of Beck's drinkers won a bunch of money off of. Um, Anheuser-Busch because they were being misled but like all of these I mean most of the Stella or all of the Stella Artois that you're going to be drink, drinking in Canada is brewed in Canada. Same with the Newcastle Brown, Same with all of these like traditional British or European import beer is all brewed in Canada now because it's just the
0: recipe. I, I for one am shocked that macro breweries would uh, suggests that something is made one way when it's actually made another for the purposes of selling more beer. I am, this is outrageous. <laughs> I mean, next thing you're going to tell me that there's rice in Budweiser.
1: It's, the thing is, there are some beers that are brewed with rice that aren't awful. Budweiser's not one of them, but there are some.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's certainly an option. Remember there used to be one that they would push really hard when we were an undergrad from Turkey? I think it was called Eves or something like that. Rice yep. Pilsner? Yep,
1: yep. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, but I, I know the one you're talking, came in the came in the tall bottles at the BC Liquor Store when we were students. It was $2.10 for a tall can or something like that.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Probably
1: yeah. $4 now. <laughs> yep. yeah. um, but a lot on the topic of, you know, getting that sort of foot in the door, you kind of have to have a gateway beer because you're not going to give somebody who's been a lifelong Molson drinker or even like a lifel- lifelong wine drinker An Imperial IPA and expect them to like it because it's going to be super bitter it's going to have flavors they've never tried before and it's going to be they're not going to like it it's the same I mean the week after we're recording this episode is Vancouver Craft Beer Week in Vancouver and there's been a bunch of articles in the Georgia Strait about beer the cover of the Georgia Strait the most recent Georgia Strait which came out on Thursday is a bunch of brewers standing in front of some brewing equipment it's all about beer um, and one of the things that was brought up, because one of the trends which we've talked about is that sour beers are really popular and three of the beers that we're going to drink today are at least somewhat soured.
0: There's um, a trend forming here as we record more episodes.
1: They're not, and like, they're not super, I mean, o- only one of them is going to be super, super punchy sour, I think. Most of them will be tart, whiny more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but it was it was kind of one of those things of like, sour beers not super sour sour beers are good ones to introduce wine drinkers to because they have that sort of there could be a winey nature to them yeah um but as like they like like i said earlier like somebody who is a white wine drinker is not going to like an ipa maybe eventually they will but you got to start them on a pilsner or something that's a lot more agreeable and accessible
0: yeah it's, it's shorter steps that get you to the 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 eventual end goal of of craft beer.
1: Yeah, because if anybody tells you the first beer they ever drank was Fat Tug and they liked it right away, they are lying to you. They are lying, lying, lying.
2: Yeah, because you don't want people in a situation like my father, who basically only drinks macro beer. Uh, He came to visit me one time. and He was complaining that the beer in my fridge tasted like garbage because I think I had uh, Bomber Extra Special Bitter, which is a delicious beer. But if all you ever drink is Budweiser, you're going to think there's something wrong with that. Yeah,
1: you're not going to like it. My opinion, and I think there's probably time in a different episode for this, but for me, craft is the best way to look at things because people, for a long time, people were talking about microbrewery versus macrobrewery versus nanobrewery. And I'm like, there is actually a technical definition of how big you are if you're a nano and how big you are if you're a, a micro. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, some of the bigger American Microbreweries exceeded that limit, and it's like you can't tell me that Sam Adams isn't craft beer. Yeah, it absolutely is, but it's way bigger than a than a microbrewery. Yeah, right. And so for me, craft is a is the best descriptor because it just you know is beer that is more thoughtfully made than we're harping on Budweiser right? a <laughs> today. But. Yeah, we really
2: are. I I mean, just to put a put a coda on that, I have a hard time getting upset about good beer being widely available. And so if being partnered with a bigger partner means that I can get something like, you know, Dogfish Head, and I can get that on the West Coast, and I don't have to go to Delaware for it, I have a hard time getting upset about
1: that. Oh, 100%. 100%. Goose Island is sort of the biggest one that I can think of because but- Goose Island was one of the first breweries that Bud, one of the first craft breweries that Budweiser bought, and they were located in Chicago, I think. Yeah. And uh, they now, I mean... You, if you go to Rogers Arena or BC Place in Vancouver for a football game, a soccer game, a hockey game, every bar has a Goose Island tab.
0: and that's pretty nice. Like that's it's pretty nice because that's something that even a few years ago was non-existent in no. the city. Like exactly. by the time, but when I left town, you couldn't find Goose Island anywhere. No, you know, premium tabs used to be Alexander Key. Yeah. And I mean,
2: that's really the power of being behind Bush is now if a place has a premium beer, it's going to be a Goose Island. But again, that's not really the end of the world. I have a hard time getting upset about that.
1: No, exactly. Exactly. Like, like, I'll never say the Goose Island's the best because, like, their Honkers Ale is good. Their IPA is fine. They're, they, the ones from them that I really like are Sophie and Matilda, which are their Belgian style annual releases, which yep. are delicious. They're not the ones you're getting at. You know, you're getting they're the Honkers or the IPA at, at Rogers Arena. But you know what? it's so much better than what you used to get and yeah. it's like it's a, a legitimate good beer that you're getting at a hockey game which di- like john said didn't exist five years ago yeah so
0: it's it's interesting this actually might be a good segue into the beers that we're about to get into because um so sophie and matilda their their belgian style beers are only available in larger bottle sizes they're because they come in larger bottles I tend to avoid them because it's a rare occasion that I'm going to sit down and just crack through an entire bottle of one of those on yeah. a casual evening. Yeah, totally. But this introduces uh, one of the, well, what we want to do here, which is bottle shares. Yeah. So the idea of, if you've got a few friends around, one of the nice things to do is a bottle share, which is everyone brings a bottle or two of beer. A lot of craft beers will come in, in larger sizes, so I think we refer to them as bombers sometimes, but like 22-ounce or 750-milliliter bottles and... It's a nice thing to be able to get everyone to bring one or two of a different style or the same style from a different brewery or something like that. It gives you a chance to try a bunch of different things that maybe you would avoid either because it's a larger bottle of a really strong beer and you're not going to get through that on your own, but get some friends together. It's a pretty good experience. Cool.
1: Well, the first the first beer in our bottle share is John's, and so I'm going to let him introduce that.
0: Yeah. So continuing the trend of bringing this brewery up every single episode. So uh, Bellwoods Brewery just had their fourth anniversary and every anniversary they release a beer. It's always called Motley Crew, but it's always a different style of beer. It's always some sort of barrel aged blend, things like that. And, and it's different. So last year was a, a sour red ale. This year it is a Niagara wild ale blend uh, aged in, I'm going to pronounce this wrong cause I'm horrible with other languages, Gewürztraminer bottles. Uh, barrels, not bottles. The Niagara wine region uh, goes pretty heavily on ice wines. You yeah. that's it's not that's not the only style that they make, but a, a, a very common style that comes out of the Niagara wine region is is ice wines. And so your Gewurztraminer your. I'm trying to remember other styles of ice wine and I'm drawing blanks. So I don't know wine that well. I think Riesling. Yes, Riesling. That would be the other one. So they got some barrels uh, from local, as far as I understand, Niagara wineries, and the yeast that they use is also um, cultivated from the Niagara Escarpment. So it's a, a very regional beer.
1: I think we're ready to give it a, give it a sample. So cheers, because okay. we're in the same room.
0: Hey, Jesus. cheers.
2: Definitely right away getting that wine taste on the nose and...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You can really, you can, like, it's, it's, it is it's quite grapey.
0: Yeah. But it's actually kind of nice. So one of the, I, like, I, I really like it. It's got, I think the grapiness adds a bit of sweetness. Bellwoods can sometimes make some very dry sour beers, and that's a really nice thing. But I think this one, to me at least, has a bit of sweetness to match, and that's probably coming through from the from the barrels in which it's aged.
1: Definitely. Those super dry sour beers can be like like you said they can be nice, but they're super like snappy and sometimes it's just a bit much. And you can get it to that little bit too much, and I'm sure a lot of the people in this room have had some of the storm, like the the 11-year Flanders Red that James lost. Yeah. Which is super delicious, but after a couple of sips, you're like this tastes like vinegar that I would put on a salad.
2: Yeah, like it's the kind of thing that when you try to order it at a bar, the waiter would you before he brings it <laughs> to you because they're sick of having people send them back yeah exactly which is really not the territory that we're in with this beer i mean if you if you wanted to trick somebody into drinking sour beer you just gave this to them and didn't tell them it was a sour beer they i don't think they'd know yet. yeah it's the, not
1: it's not terribly sour i think they intentionally called it a wild ale as opposed to a sour ale yeah um and yeah it's 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 not like it's got a, a little bit of tart almost tanginess to it,
0: mm.
1: uh, but it's yeah, it's not sour, it's not puckery, it's not you know, yeah. I, I think it's delicious,
0: yeah. The, the other one they put out actually on, on their anniversary, they put out two beers, so this is their anniversary one. The other beer is one they've made before, it's a, it's a barrel aged Belgian triple mm-hmm. with plums, so they get Niagara plums and they age it. And it's but it, the, it's a very similar experience, obviously, it's got a stronger um, flavor with the triple style. But it has that same kind of hint of sweetness that comes from aging it with, with the fruit. Yeah. So.
1: John, rating? Uh,
0: I'm gonna go like nine and a half out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I think to- it's great. It's right <laughs> up my alley. I I'm, I'm fully biased in this regard.
1: I'm going strong nine for sure.
0: I think I'm probably about an
2: 8.5. I think it's really good. It's not my personal favorite style, but I can see I can see what they're going for, and I see they get there. So that's just a personal preference, Mm
0: 8.5. Yeah, this is what we were talking about, I think, last episode, was the notion of the difficulty of trying to balance that in terms of rating your personal preference versus a style and getting to recognize that sometimes you drink something that's a really good example of a style, but it's not a style that you personally feel terribly strongly about. And trying to balance those is is sometimes a bit tough.
1: Yeah, no, this is delicious, and I think it's great. I'm glad it survived
0: the airplane. There's always a little bit of nervousness when you pack a beer in a suitcase and then throw it onto the conveyor and just hope that it lasts until the other side. Yeah, it's just wrapped up in four or five shirts. Oh, yeah. At this point, I do the, the, the Ziploc and then wrap it in a raincoat and then wrap it in something else softer and just hope for the best. Okay, so I think we're gonna move on to our second bottle share. And this one is one that Dave brought. So Dave, you wanna give us an intro?
1: So this one is the first the first fellowship beer from strange fellows now fellowship the fellow the strange fellows fellowship was as far as i can tell a way for strange fellows to raise a bit of capital to i don't know what they were doing whether they were doing going to you know purchase some more tanks and expand their production capacity or more barrels or something like that but towards the end of 2015 strange fellows started offering a chance for people to buy into their fellowship and it was there were two levels and with the fellowship it was kind of like a beer club membership sort of with the fellowship the level you got a certain amount of bottles from four different releases of beer and a couple of other gifts like we got glasses from strange fellows branded glasses and a growler and a couple other things like that and you get 10% off at the um, growlers fills at the brewery Um, but what the, the real prize was the the bottles of the of the special release fellowship beers that they're only releasing for the fellowships it's not like any extra like any any additional that's available beyond the two bottles per person who is a fellow or a fellowship member are only being released to be sold to fellowship
0: oh, wow. members so even if you didn't pay into the original you're still you still don't have an opportunity to get it unless you know someone yeah who's part of it yeah
1: um which i mean that's not the end of the world but and, and, I mean, it is possible that maybe they'll find that there just isn't emu- enough demand by the rest. And maybe it comes up. But definitely like, the way I was told at the brewery was there. You're only allowed to
0: get it if you're in the fellowship. That's it's really interesting. like how I mean, you may not know this, but how did people take that in terms of like the trade off between? Yeah, you're, you're funding a brewery. It's almost a form of crowdfunding. And then return, you kind of get unique stuff from the brewery because. I I like the idea. I know that other breweries have tried it and had mixed results because the community seems to not like it sometimes. So I was curious. Like in Vancouver, did it seem to take well? Like, did
1: I think so? We went to a fellowship event when they were you know giving out their membership cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was several months ago. There were a lot of people there. Like, there was easily oh, cool. fifty to seventy people there or something like that. So, and I I don't know. It, sound, it seems as though they still have a limited number of – because they did have a cap on how many of each. Right. It was like a certain number of the, of the, the intro level, and then there was like a double level, which they got four bottles and everything like that. And I think they sold out at the top level. Oh, okay. Um, and I think there was still a limited number of the bottom level left. So people could still become fellowship members just to, to get these beers. But mm-hmm. um, this is the first one. And so it is called – the beer is called Grey Beard. It is a barrel-aged, barrel-aged old ale, and an old ale is a traditional English style, similar to a barley wine. Higher gravity, higher alcohol content. Um, It's been aged in aged in barrels for eleven months with two different strains of Brettanomyces, and as we discussed in another podcast, Brettanomyces is sort of a sort of a souring type of yeast it's a different type of yeast which it more adds more of a funk than a sour mm-hmm. um, yeah so this one is Greybeard. Cheers. Cheers. cheers
0: the moment of silence everyone, <laughs> everyone contemplates graybeard that's really good that's nice that's interesting i don't i don't know old ales as a style that well so i don't I don't have much to compare this against. It's really nice.
1: There's, like, some uh, there's some real fruitiness in there, which I think probably comes from, because I, like John, I don't know much about old ales. I think that it's, and, like, I could really only compare it to sort of some of those British-style barley wines, which have those dried fruit flavors, and there's not, like, there's no noticeable hops at all.
2: Yeah. But it's also, it's a really smooth taste, and it almost reminds me of... Of the cask ale. Yeah. Especially when you get uh, a brown ale or mm-hmm. something along those lines coming out of the cask. It's just got that very smooth, yep. yes, it's high alcohol content,
0: but a very lightly really, tasting. It doesn't taste like it though. Mm.
1: I mean, like, I it, was actually gonna yeah, say, like, exactly
0: right. compared to, like, I was thinking, you were saying a barley wine is a similar style, but barley wine's the main thing for me, because I'm not I'm not huge on barley wines. And the big thing is just the overpowering alcohol taste. Like, there's just a hit that comes with a lot of barley wines, I feel like. This doesn't seem to have that at all. That might be the aging.
1: Yeah, definitely will be some of the aging. But like I, if you if you if I wasn't looking at the bottle and saw oh eight percent alcohol by volume, I wouldn't have guessed it. No. That's really good. Yeah. I like it a lot.
0: You want you you ready to give it a rating?
1: Probably eight and a half.
0: Pretty good,
2: Steve. I'm gonna go a little higher. I think I'm gonna give this one a nine. It's just something about it. It's very uh, it's very crisp. No alcohol taste at all for something so strong. I, I think it's great.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's a good beer for this. Weather. It's kind of an overca- overcast, a little bit of a rainy day, but it's not too cold. Yeah, it feels like it's the right beer for that kind of weather. Something it's it's a little bit of warmer, but not so much that you want it to be even colder. Yeah, I go. I'd probably go eight for me. Um, it's it's really nice. I'm. It's one of those beers. actually one of the things about bottle shares that it's nice sometimes to get to try things. Because even if you're not as big on it, like I like it, I don't think I would want more than a taster of this, personally. That's fair. So yeah, I go 8 out of ten. Cool. But this is great. This is the great thing about bottle shares.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, our next beer was brought to us by Steve. So do you want to give us a quick rundown of what we're drinking?
2: Absolutely. So this is the Kelp Stout from the Tofino Brewing Company. And uh, Tofino Brewing Company is in, obviously, Tofino, which is a small town on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And uh, I like to go there once a year in the fall, um, try to go storm watching, and always end up hitting up the brewery. Which is a really funny little place. It's where people go to go surfing. There's no chain restaurants allowed, and of course they have this great brewery that's in a garage in the industrial part of town.
1: Yeah, I was in I was in Tofino over Easter this year, and <clears throat> we stopped into the brewery. It was the first time I'd ever actually been to the brewery, and yeah, it's in a weird kind of in, it's kind of industrial part of town um, in a garage. They had just turned part of the area into a tasting room. My understanding is that previously it was just like there was just a counter, um, and I've always the thing I've or I've always been impressed with with Tofino is that they do make really good beer. Tofino, like the people in Tofino and the community in Tofino is, are fiercely loyal to their local producers. So, I mean, I, when Tofino Brewing opened, a bunch I think a bunch of people who were macro drinkers switched to Tofino because it was made there. They easily could have made bad beer. They easily, easily could have made bad beer and made a killing out of it. But they don't. They make consistently really, really, really good beer. They've got, they've got their, the, the IPA is good, the pale ale is good. Um, they have a coffee porter
2: that's fantastic. I was going to say, I remember, so
0: I, I've only ever been to Tofino once, and one of the restaurants that we went to while we were there served Tofino brewing. And I think it's the only time I'd ever had it. I think right when I was leaving Vancouver, they had started bottling but yeah, they're I distinctly remember their coffee porter and their IPA as being just really good, really solid beers. Yeah, yeah. So this is Kelp Stout. It has actual kelp
2: from the Pacific Ocean, as the label says. If there's one complaint they get, it's that their beer doesn't have enough seaweed in it. So, we are going to drink it now. So, cheers. Cheers.
0: That's really nice.
1: It's good. It's good. Yeah. I'm always, this isn't, I mean, it's not the first time I've had the, the kelp stout. Um, I'm always kind of surprised how salty it actually is.
0: It reminds me a bit of oyster stouts in a way. So if you've ever had an oyster stout, it's, I, so for the people listening, oyster stouts are stouts brewed with oysters. I don't know much more about it than that, but it's either like the juice from an oyster. I, don't know. That's, that's I, I actually have no idea how one is made. I'll be perfectly honest, but... Um, I had, like, the first time I ever had one was in Ireland, actually, and took me by surprise. But, yeah, slightly, it has a slightly saltier flavor coming through. Still has a lot of that kind of stout, darker, sometimes kind of chocolate notes. Um, but it's really good. It's, it's different than what you get from a, I guess, more of a standard stout. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: is really good, though. It's really, really good.
0: I mean, to me, the first thing that I taste in this is not
2: the salt, it's it's more of an accent almost to me. I mean, I still think you get that great uh, that great malt taste. You know that it's it's a classic stout, and then the kelp just kind of gives it a little a little something different.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely super roasty um, and has all those stouty things. I get a, a fairly salty aftertaste. Like if you let it, the taste lingers, and what what it is that's lingering is a little bit of salt. That's that's what that's at least how I get it.
0: I agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. The other, it's, things like this are interesting where there's the introduction of a sort of very uncommon ingredient. So it's, but just thinking of Oceanside breweries and things, there's a brewery in San Diego, I think that tried to open, I can't remember what style it was. I want to say it was a, a Goza, which is a German, kind of very traditional German style Slightly sour wheat beer um, that usually actually also has that kind of salty taste. And their their kind of shtick when they opened was that it was a it was a saltwater goza. So they were doing Pacific salt water, bringing it into the brewery. Uh, I never had it. It seemed a bit gimmicky. Um, yeah, Dave's making a real
2: face.
1: <laughs> yeah. So with gozas, the traditional they were. We talked last time about kolsch style beers and how mm. they're. They originated in the Cologne region of Germany. Go- Gozes are also from a specific region of Germany. Oh, okay. And they have, the, as legend has it, or tradition has it, the reason there was some sort of saltiness in the beer is because the groundwater in that area was high in minerals and slightly saline, just slightly. Mm-hmm. But that's it's enough to make it, it taste. And so, but Gozes brewed elsewhere in... The world often do have salt added. Yeah. I just can't imagine a salt water Goza being any being all that good. I, I just... have a
0: lingering curiosity. I mean, if I if it was in front of me, I would try it in in that way. That well, I, in me, I would too. Yeah. But <laughs> there's there's sometimes there's that where you I mean, coming back to the kelp stout, the idea of if I knew nothing about Tofino Brewing, if I knew nothing even about BC beer, if I saw a kelp stout on a menu, I'd probably order it just for curiosity's sake, right? And I've, I've done that previously to sort of detrimental effect where you see, uh, so whatever, cucumber mint IPA. Well, doesn't taste good at all, but um, at least you tried it. Thankfully, this one is, it follows through where like you order it. I feel like if, if I saw this on a menu, I'd order for curiosity, but be pleasantly surprised by how good it is. Both in terms of, like you were saying, Steve, like it's got a lot of that traditional stout flavor, but it's got something just a little bit extra, a little bit interesting going on for it. Well, John, it sounds like you're ready to make a rating for this beer. I'd say strong eight and a half. I mean, I'm am a big fan of stouts. I think I would easily have more of this over other stouts, not because of the gimmick, but because it it seems to benefit the beer overall. Like it seems like there's been, like you were saying, they they've put a lot of thought into this, uh, and it's it's a good beer. So yeah, I'll go eight and a half. So this isn't really
2: a tough room as I'm noticing that everything is at least an eight for us. And really, I should throw in a a black label or a wildcat or something.
1: Hey, we we had a discussion. Obviously, you haven't heard this episode yet. We had a discussion about this last time that like there are beers that we would rate as threes or fours. But neither John nor I are ever going to be choosing those beers. To be
0: fair, we also, we do sort of game this system slightly because we choose the beers that we bring to the table. And so it's going to be a rare occasion where we're like, hey, I selected
2: this. Also, I hate it. (laughs) Okay, fair point. Well, since this is my beer that I brought to the tasting and I've got to defend it, but... This is definitely a 9 for me. I mean, as far as BC Stouts go, it's it's easily one of my favorites. The only one that I would say that I prefer is Cranogs Backhand of God, which yeah. you have a hard time getting in a bottle. So good. I- impossible to get in a bottle. Yes.
1: Um, this is a 7.5 for me. Not because it's not good. It is quite good. I would definitely drink it again. I don't know that I would seek it out. Um... But I would. I, it's it's good. It's a good beer. It's but yeah, for me, seven and a half, solid, you know, seventy five percent. Sounds good.
0: Okay, so uh, Dave, do you want to introduce our fourth and last beer?
1: So this is one that I pulled out of the cellar. By cellar, I mean on top of the bookshelf in our solarium. Um, the cellar for apartment dwellers. Yes, <laughs> apartment dweller cellar. I like that. Um, This one is one I've been holding on to for a while. The cap, I pulled pulled the cap off. It says bottled on October 18th, 2013. So it is two and a half years old now. Pretty good. It is Driftwood's five-year anniversary wild sour anniversary ale called Lustrum. It was a wild sour ale re-fermented with black currants and... When this came out two and a half years ago, it was comfortably the best beer I'd ever had. I don't know if that still stands, and the beer's going to be a lot different now since it's been aging for two and a half years. It's going to be a lot different than it was then. But when, we, when I first had it, it was easily the best beer I've ever had. Very nice. let so a shot. Special occasion, John being in town. Cheers. figured it was good enough reason as any to pull it out of the cellar.
0: that is an incredibly good beer. Yeah. <laughs> it does it has it has that tartness that we've seen in a couple of the other sour 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 style beers, but it has that sort of that kind of warm booziness that you get sometimes with those stronger beers, but not overpowering. Like like we were talking about with the old ale and the, and the barley like it's not overpowering but it's there and it's, it's actually a really nice balance between the sort of tart fruitiness and the booziness. It's a really really nice balanced beer.
2: Because you do get a great taste of the black currants in there. Mm. And the whole thing is just, I mean, I, I didn't have this. I have no basis for comparison for what it tasted like before it had been bottle-aged for two and a half years. But this is delicious. Yeah.
1: I actually was expecting that it was going to be more sour than this. Because hmm. it's, it's about the same level of sour as it was two years ago when, we're, when I was drinking it. I was kind of expecting that. Or I thought that that two years, because the, there's still, it isn't filtered, so there's still some of the, the sour yeast, the bacteria, whatever it is that soured it.
0: So it has the potential to kind of keep culturing essentially in the bottle.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I was expecting it to be more sour than this, but it really, it's just sort of a soft, mellow sourness. It's not really, really sour. Oh,
2: that's really good. So I noticed looking at the bottles that we've now drank and enjoyed that we've had a good vancouver island going today two out of the four yep and uh i think it's really cool i was thinking about this earlier today so driftwood is from victoria and victoria is not even half a million people and there just is so many great breweries in victoria you know you've got driftwood and phillips and Hoyne and moon underwater and spinnakers and category 12
1: category 12 is a fairly new one and they are just killing it their beer is excellent
2: and it just seems like such an embarrassment of riches because it's not that big of a city but they're doing some really good stuff
1: and they always have victoria has always been sort of ahead of the curve they've always been bc's craft beer capital vancouver has obviously the people and the numbers and there's more breweries here but still driftwood is i would say the best brewery in bc if not the best in canada
2: and i mean what's funny thing. is if if you're ever in victoria and you're doing the touring around thing all of these breweries are on government street you know you could stand on the roof of phillips and throw a rock and hit Hoyne and driftwood and
1: yeah they're i mean well they're not actually on government street they're a few blocks down but yeah i know you're, you're totally right they're all in kind of the rock bay area and i mean Hoyne and driftwood share a parking lot And and whereas the the, the, kind of the funny thing also about Victoria is that one, nothing's open on Sunday. We tried to get a growler filled a couple of, it was Sunday of Thanksgiving, maybe two years ago. The only place we could fill growlers were the brew pubs. All of the breweries were closed. Nothing's open on Sunday. And like, I get that Victoria is a bunch of retired people. And so there's no reason for any business to ever be open on a Sunday in Victoria, but like, come on.
2: Our, our audience who's in the room with us right now both grew up in Victoria. They're both getting kind of defensive. Um, but I mean, we're really, we're trying to say positive things yes. about yes. the wonderful beer scene. Yes. And one of the cool things in Victoria is so Phillips has this giant concrete plaza out behind their brewery and they call it the Phillips Backyard. And it's a big enough area that they can have bands out there, they can have events. And so I went last summer with my wife, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law to, they called it Hopoxia, and it was a tasting event for all of these microbreweries from the island and from the mainland, and with an event called Hopoxia, it was just, you know, bring your hoppiest beer. And by the end of it, I couldn't really taste anything.
1: I was gonna say your taste, your taste buds are gonna be shredded by the end of that. Yeah, we went
2: for dinner at Redfish Bluefish, which is this fantastic fish taco stand in the Inner Harbor, and I don't even think I tasted no.
0: anything. <laughs> no, this is like just texture. Yeah, it is nice when it has that. Little, like between, I mean, obviously you've got um, in Vancouver, you have that sort of East Van brewery area where you can, I mean, Dave was talking about this in, in the last episode that we recorded, but you can easily bike and even walk between a lot of the breweries in that area. It sounds like Victoria's got a really similar thing. Toronto is, is in the process of sort of getting that. They're, in the last year or so, there have been three or four new breweries that have opened up, and they're all sort of central in, in, that, in that west end part of Toronto. That's kind of becoming the brewery district, so to speak. Um, I think someone somewhere is trying to market that term because uh, I saw it kicked around and everyone got really mad about it for whatever reason. So. But, but yeah, but, but it's got this, like there's something really nice about these sort of um, condensed areas that you can kind of walk around, try a few different things. And yeah, when, when every brewery's got something different, whether it's like a space to do shows or it's a brew pub so you can get food or things like that, like there's something really nice about having all of those in a slightly more condensed area because it becomes you can try few different things. You can walk around, see what's different. Like it's, a, it's a really nice experience. Yeah.
1: The only, not necessarily puzzling, but kind of odd thing about a lot of the Victoria breweries is that if they're not the brew pubs, because there are some good brew pubs, Spinnaker, Swans, Four Mile in Victoria, there isn't really tasting rooms. Interesting. Like in Vancouver, all, almost all of the breweries have tasting rooms where you can sit down and you can get a flight and you can, they'll sell snacks and stuff like that. In Victoria, it's just, here's the place that you're filling your growler. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe part of it is that Victoria's got a little bit more of a car culture than Vancouver does um, in that people are going to the breweries to get beer and then taking them home.
2: Yeah, because even Phillips only has the counter. I mean, they probably only have seating for half a dozen people. Yeah. And they're yeah. one of the bigger ones.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like Driftwood, Driftwood and Hoyne... I mean driftwood only started filling growlers a year and a half ago several years after everyone else did um and literally my understanding i've never done it but my understanding is that you go in a door and go down a hallway that there's a sign that says growler fills this way you go down a hallway and hand your growler to somebody who goes and fills it in the back and then gives it back to you <laughs> hoin's got a tiny little room can't be more than 200 square feet where there's a little bar area or a little sort of cash register area where you give them their growler and they go in the back and fill it and come back and you can also buy shirts and stuff like that but it is it's kind of odd to me that victoria doesn't hasn't embraced the or the victoria breweries haven't really embraced the tasting room thing
0: i wonder if that's uh, i mean you were saying that that victoria has sort of been ahead of the curve i mean any of the breweries that were around from before the change in bc legislation around tasting rooms i mean i know there was a big like this Granted, I'm pulling from memory, so I don't I don't remember the exact details. But right around the time that I was leaving Vancouver, so close to about two and a half years ago, there was a, a change being pushed through that would allow breweries to have tasting rooms. And I forget again the details of what was and wasn't allowed escapes me at the moment. But there was there was some detail about like. A brewery having a tasting room versus being a brew pub versus, like, the distinction between liquor licenses, it seemed was a bit of a sticking point. And I think, as far as I understand, it was a change in BC legislation, not Vancouver. I can't say that for certain, but...
1: I think it was BC legislation. Um, I think Vancouver had to rubber stamp it, but it was, I think it was a BC legislation. But yeah, it could very well be that all of these places were established before mm-hmm. those laws came in. Mm-hmm.
2: How your legal sausage gets made in British Columbia is a topic that could be its own podcast. But I do think we got off on a bit
0: of a tangent here and we didn't actually rate We haven't
1: beer. rated Luster yet.
0: Uh, well Dave, you brought the beer. Do you want to be the first one to, to give us a rating?
1: Oh yeah, this one's still this one's ten out of ten for me. This is like there's there's no doubt in my mind this is a this is one of the best beers I've ever drank.
0: Pretty good. It's, there, there there are those beers that just hit that point where you're just like, this is absolutely everything I was looking for, whether even in the moment or just in general. It's one of those, like... I can think of a couple where just, no matter what the circumstance, if I have it, it's just like, absolutely, this is great. This hits every point of what I like about beer. Easy. Yeah. I'll go... Like, for me, it's 9 out of 10, I think. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Again, it's one of those where, like, one of the things I love about bottle shares, I don't know that I would want a lot more than just this. Sure. And... Now, granted, when I first I tried that. this, this was the one that uh, that that Dave actually sent me in the mail, <laughs> um, and I at that point I had the vast majority of the bottle. Shared a little bit of it, but, but I had most of it, and th- it was it was younger at the time. So I feel like casting back into memory, it was that sort of boozy flavor wasn't as present as it is now. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, like for for me, this 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 was fantastic. So nine out of ten.
2: I, th- I think I'm also a 9, and it's a similar comment that I had on the first beer that we tried today, which is just, I see what they're doing, and I think they get there, and it's just not my personal favorite style. Mm-hmm. But absolutely a great beer. I've never had anything from Driftwood that I didn't like, and that's still true.
1: For the record, you're both wrong. This is a, <laughs> this is a 10 out of 10 beer, no matter what. Well, that's Okay, I
2: think that as
1: we've now had our four beers and we're all getting a little bit silly, um, I think that's a probably a good way to a, a good place to close it. Yeah, um, so. Steve, thanks for joining us. John, it's always yeah, nice to be much. in the same room.
0: Yeah, hopefully we will get to do more of these at some point in the future. Yeah, Man,
2: it was a real pleasure to be involved. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Cheers.